Heresy, huh, Ken? Heresy. <laughs> so I'm off a little bit, but it's fun. It's fun. Actually, could you open up to the book of 1 Corinthians chapter 3? And as you open up there, I have a game I want to play with you, and the name of the game is called, Is This Okay? So I'm going to ask you a few things, and in your heart and mind, don't tell anybody how you feel about this, but I want you to answer the question, is this okay? Is it okay if your wife eats bricks, one cup of bricks a day for 15 years? That's right, bricks off the wall that you put into a cup and you chew on them. Is that okay? Is it okay... If your daughter eats makeup, specifically eyeshadow, $200 worth of it per week, is that okay? Is it okay to have your sister dress up like a Comic Con doll when she's 25 years old, wearing pink wigs, long blue dresses, pasted on eyelashes while she goes to work? Is that okay? Is it okay? Is it okay, Bob Ford, is it okay to dress up like, pay $180,000 to get plastic surgery to look like Justin Bieber? Is it okay? He's thinking about it. He's wondering. The reason I ask, this is my daughter made me watch a show with her on a learning channel where all of these things are true. They're strange obsessions people have where a woman will eat bricks for 15 years or a... a 32-year-old girl eats makeup, $200 a week. But here's the weirdest story of all. Is it okay? It's this lady named Linda. Here's a picture of her. She looks normal. Very nice lady. She has tattoos. No big deal. Everybody has tattoos. And she has a wedding ring. But what you don't notice about this wedding ring is who she's married to. Actually, her husband's in the same picture with her right there. She married a man by the name of Bruce. Well, he's not necessarily a man. He's a Ferris wheel. It's called a skydiver. One of those, you get in the car and the car spins and it goes around in a Ferris wheel. They got married in 2011. Here's what she said about their encounter. I got this weird feeling. I can't explain it. My, our first meeting in 1982. My heart was pounding as I went up on the platform and I got on the ride. I feel like I was being taken all of me by this ride. She already had a proclivity for objects, the article says. She, um, she fell in love with an airplane when she was a pilot. That happens to Mark Lindsley often. She, um, she had an intimate relationship with a train. And when she met Bruce in 1982, she decided to run away and join the carnival so she could be close to the ride of her heart. 1986, though, a storm knocked out this carnival ride and it got shipped away and she didn't know where and she said, I was completely alone. And I was dying on the inside. I was very, very lonely. Sinking in depression, she found out 25 years later that it was stored 3,000 miles away. She got in her car and instantly she found the man of her dreams, Bruce. She married him. And she has been restoring him with the hopes of finally getting him back to operational again. 
Every year, a small group of friends celebrate the renewal ceremony with a bottle of champagne, and she said, my goal is to spend the rest of my life and grow old with him and eventually get a piece of land where we can just be ourselves together. Question, is this okay? Are you sure it's not okay? There's three choices. I would say if you ask people today, they have three choices on that question, is it okay? Is it okay to eat bricks? Is it okay to marry a Ferris wheel? Option number one is we can join the tolerance train, which most people do these days. What is the tolerance train? Hey, man, whatever floats your boat, do it. You want to marry a Ferris wheel? Marry a Ferris wheel. You want to eat brick? Eat bricks. You want to be a boy? You want to be a girl? You want to be a dog? Do whatever you want. You're free, and I will love you and support you, whatever you decide. Option number two is you can ignore the world. Live and let live, or live and let die, as the movie goes. You can let people languish in their own world of make-believe. Let her believe she's actually married to a Ferris wheel. You can let people live in their pain or their sin or their isolation. I believe this is what Matthew says when he says, you can tell the end of the world is coming because the love of most is growing cold. Do you know love, the opposite of love, is not hatred, it's apathy? Go ahead, Mary, do whatever you want. Or you can do option three. You can care about this lady and tell her the truth. You can tell her you cannot marry a piece of metal. That's not sanity. It's not sane. That's not marriage. Marriage is two people who unite their body, soul, and spirit together. You can tell her, um, Linda, honestly, you're lying to yourself. You need to grow up and live in the world the way God designed it. Because when you live in the world the way God designed it, it is the best thing for you. Choice number three is what we call maturity. It's called living as an adult. It's honestly, it's true freedom. Personally, I think we have lost the ability to tell the truth anymore. We would rather live in number one and number two so people think we're nice and we're tolerant, compassionate, while we let the world fall apart. And what is even worse, I think what's even worse is we're not allowed to even tell the truth in the confines of the family of God called the church. Man, if you, if you tell people the truth, they get mad and they leave. And they go to a place where they can, you know, just see from a distance. Slip in the back maybe, attend once a month maybe. And that's exactly what Paul is going to talk about today. People in the church are called to maturity, adulthood, and what it looks like. And so if you can stand, the title of this message today is Real Spiritual Maturity and What It Looks Like. We're going to read verses 1 through 9, and um, the question is, is it okay to be the way he describes the Corinthians? And his answer is going to be, no, it's not. Starting in verse 1, Paul says, but I, brothers, could not address you as spiritual people, but as people of the flesh, as infants in Christ. I fed you with milk, not solid food, for you were not ready for it. And even now, you're not ready for it. For you are still of the flesh. 
For while there is jealousy and strife among you, are you not of the flesh and behaving only in a human way? For when one says, I follow Paul or I follow Apollos, are you not being merely human? What then is Apollos? What is Paul? Servants through whom you believed, as the Lord assigned to each. I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the growth. So, neither he who plants nor he who waters is anything, but only God who gives the growth. He who plants and he who waters are one, and each will receive his wages according to his labor, for we are God's fellow workers. You are God's field. You are God's building. You may be seated. So the problem in here is pretty clear starting in verse 1. He's basically saying, but I, brothers, could not address you as spiritual people, but as people of the flesh, as infants. So they were not mature. They were not mature. The commentator, Gordon Fee, sums up the problem perfectly, and I would say gives a pretty good analysis of what happens in a lot of Christian churches, and here's what he says. He's relating to verse 1, and he says, Paul, of course, does not mean to say they do not have the Spirit. They're called brothers, if you notice, in verse 1. I, brothers. So they're of, they're of, the, of the same family. They have the Spirit of God. Does not mean to say they do not have the Spirit. They do, and that's the problem. Why is that a problem to have the Spirit? Because they are thinking and acting as if they do not. When you have the Spirit of God, that means you are to be different, to be like Him. And they are not. They are acting like babies. So Paul's upset because the people that he loves, the people that he led to Christ, the people who are part of the church and who are Christians are acting as they are not Christians. Do you think that ever happens in our church? Uh, I, don't, I don't think people would do that. I don't think people would say they're Christians, go to church on Sunday, but then once they leave, they act like the rest of the world. That would kind of be like marrying a Ferris wheel. They wouldn't do that. I want you to notice in this passage, actually surrounding this passage, Paul is going to identify three people. He's going to say people are divided in the world by three types. The first type we find in chapter 2, verse 14. We talked all about this person last week. They're called the natural person. They're dead because they don't have the Spirit of God in them. Look at what it says in 2.14. The natural person does not accept the things of God for the folly to him because the Spirit of God is not alive in them. These are the people that we've been saying are impressed by the world's wisdom and its categories, are impressed by smart people, educated people, the elite. That's who they run to. And then you have in chapter 3, verse 1, he's going to say there's fleshly or worldly people, carnal. The Greek word is sarkinos, fleshly like an animal, blinded by passion, or like a baby. They're not able to ingest the food of the Spirit. That's what he says. I fed you with milk, in verse 2, not solid food, for you were not ready for it. And even now, you're not ready. One, one scholar says, 
It's not that they understood the gospel and then they can't go on to higher truths like in Hebrews 6. The problem here is that they're not even understanding the implications of the gospel itself. Chapter 2, verse 2, Christ and Him crucified. It's as if, okay, Jesus died, but so what? One commentator says, um, basically what's happening here is it's not about Paul's preaching that's the problem. It's their inability to understand the gospel itself. Let me give you a litmus test. I'll show you what I mean by this. A lot of times I'll have people come into my office either through mar they need marital counseling, they're having an issue with their family member, and they're mad, like really mad. So I'll bring them to 1 Peter chapter 3. Go to 1 Peter chapter, actually chapter 2. I call this the litmus test. And by a litmus test, you read this to them, you explain this to them, then you apply it to their situation, and you see how they respond. This is, this is the gospel in practice. A natural person will think this is crazy. They'll think this is crazy. You expect me to live like this? A infant or a person of the flesh, they'll understand it, but they won't, they won't eat it. Like a baby can't eat hamburger, they just will be like, I don't know. Here, let me read it for you. So Peter's talking about people who are suffering unjustly and how they should respond. Verse 20. What credit is it if when you sin and are beaten for it, you endure it? In other words, let's say you sin and you suffer for it. It's your own fault. You deserve it. Then he goes on. But if when you do good and suffer for it, you endure it, this is a gracious thing or a commendable thing or a really good thing in the sight of God. So if you're mistreated and yet you don't complain, you don't criticize, you don't threaten, Peter's saying that's a really good thing. So if the boss treats you terrible but he treats everybody good and you just take it, he's saying that's commendable. But if you say, how dare that boss? You know what that guy says to me? Uh-huh. That's not too good. Christians shouldn't do that. Look at what he says, verse 21. For to this you've been called, because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example so you may follow in his steps. He committed no sin, neither was deceit found in his mouth, and while he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but he continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. So there's four things to note. Number one, starting in verse 20, enduring suffering that you don't deserve is a good thing. When you say that to the person who is natural, they're like, you're crazy. <laughs> you're crazy. When you say that to an infant, they're like, I know, I know, but do you know how hard that is? As if they don't have to live that way. They, are, they don't ingest it. The mature person will say, Oh, I have to change. The second thing in this passage is verses 21 and 22. The example is Jesus. He was innocent. Did you know he's perfect? No deceit was found in his mouth. And they beat on him, spit on him, and put a crown of thorns on him, and he stayed on the cross. Imagine if he got mad. I was explaining this to somebody. If he got mad and he ripped himself off the cross, revelation would instantly start where the blood would turn blood red 
and all the wrath of the Lamb would come. Oh boy, he took it. Third thing about this passage is he did not retaliate. He did not fight back. He did not get jealous. He did not threaten. We do. If you hit me, I'm going to hit you right back. You know, my wife insulted me. I'm not going to take that. That's the biggest part of the problem with marital counseling. We love to retaliate. You know what she did? Well, you know what he did? Well, you know what she did? You know what she... Ah! Stop it! Stop it! But you know what she said to me before we came here? I don't care! Don't retaliate! Do you know how hard that is for people? The mature person will say, man, I'm sorry. You're right. I've been acting like a baby. And then the fourth thing is, the reason why Jesus didn't retaliate is the end of verse 23. He entrusted himself to God. He basically said, I'll trust God. I'll let God handle it. That's what a mature person is like. A mature person who is full of the Spirit is patient. A mature person is kind. A mature person keeps no record of wrongs, always hopes, always perseveres. A mature person never gives up. Out of these three, which are you? It might be hard to um, answer that because you need a specific situation. So let's go back to 1 Corinthians 3 because he's going to give us a specific situation. Specifically for the Corinthians, he's talking to them about how they behave within the church, within God's house. Because look at verse 9. It says, we are God's building. And he's talking about how they're behaving within God's building. This is God's house. And as you know, the song goes, God's house is a very, very, very fine house with two cats in the yard. No, that's the wrong song. Wrong song. <laughs> wrong song. But the point is, you are God's building. And so before we go into specifics about how each group acts, let me just give you a little example. Maybe you can think through it like this. This is, a, this is a house. Imagine your house. You, you know, if you close your eyes, you can see your house, the shingles, the front door. If you own the house, you know it needs to be done. So the question is, who is in charge of your house? Who, who does the upkeep? Who does the repairs? And who does the home life? By upkeep, uh, who does the landscaping, lawn care, the septic, the shingles, the driveway? Who's in charge of when the furnace goes out? Or the dishwasher breaks, so the rug needs vacuuming. And who makes uh, the house into a home, cooks the dinners, decides on family meals, has family get-togethers, maintains the laughter and the civility? Who's in charge? So you can ask it like this. Is the person who doesn't belong to the house do these things? You know, the person who really doesn't belong, does he care or she care? Do they help make repairs? Do they help clean up? No, usually what they do is they sit on the couch and they watch and they say in their mind, this is a weird family and this house smells weird. They're the people that see God's house as this is a weird place. That pastor up there, he's a weird guy. How about the baby? What does the baby do? What does the small child do in the house? Do they do the upkeep? Do they take care of repairs? Or do they want to be fed? Mom, I want, I want to watch Frozen 17 more times. <laughs> I hate eating vegetables. I don't want to eat the vegetables. Oh, 
can I get a new bed? Can I get a new bed? How do, how do they get along with each other? Do they get along with each other like verse 3? Hmm, you're still of the flesh for while there's jealousy and strife among you. you you've seen kids in a home. Johnny, Johnny took my Barbie doll and ripped off her head. Dad, get, Johnny needs to be grounded. They don't, they want to wear masks. They don't. Well, they do. Dude, do they, uh, you know, how do they, this microphone's driving me crazy. How do they behave? How do they behave? What about mature adults? What do they do in, in the house? Well, they, they take care of it. Yeah, they have to, but most of the time they love to take care of their house. There's a really cool house in this area. In this, the name of the road is called Bag End. And if you drive down Bag End, there's a house at the end of Bag End where the grass is beautiful. The chicken coop is like a castle. It's just like you're in paradise. And the person, I know this person who owns Bag End. He sings music. You might know him. He loves it when it's rain so he can say, oh, I get to cut my grass. Oh, I got so many dreams for it. An adult loves their house. His name is Frodo. Anyhow, <laughs> the church, however, it says in verse 9 is... It's our building, God's building. We're all a part of it. We're God's fellow workers. It's ours. And in this section of Scripture, verses 1 through 9, the Corinthians actually, Paul's upset with them because the majority were acting like babies. And so he goes through what babies believe, how they think, what they care about, the little babies. He addresses the way baby thinks about the church. And I think some of these thoughts are still prevalent here in the mind of the fleshly, carnal. I'm going to quickly go through them and I'm going to ask you to say, is this okay? Same game. Is this okay? First thing, the way babies think, is that the leaders, they are the church. Look at verse 4. For when one says, I follow Paul, another, I follow Paulus, are you not merely human? And by merely human meaning, you're acting like a person without the spirit, a mere human being. You're more than that! You're more than a mere human. You're a child of the living God. But the way they've been behaving as the leaders are, are what matters. I follow Paul. I follow Apollos. As if the leader defines the organization and seeing all of us are this church. All of us are. It's not me. It's not just Chris Weeks. It's not just the deacons or the elders. Those elders, you know what those guys, what are those guys? Now, what kind of church is this? As long as you respect the leadership, you'll stay. But once they become mere human beings, which they are, oh, I need to go someplace else. I'm telling you, this COVID is, is it's hard for me. I, I feel so inadequate because I'm just like I'm just like you I get mad about masks wearing them not wearing them. I get mad about what the governor says I get mad and sometimes I say something and somebody will say well you're supposed to be a pastor while they while they are able to vent and rage and, and they're able to say I'm going to another place <laughs> what happened about working together that's your job oh it's, it's really weird, as if it's 
the leadership's fault. Did you know that's a, I think it's a national problem? Do you know that COVID's a virus? Did you know the president, and did you know Pelosi, and did you know even Joe Biden really can't do anything about it, but we blame them for it? Even Gretchen Whitmer, she really can't, she didn't invent the virus. It's like a natural thing that's hidden, and it works itself around through the air, but we somehow blame the leader. It's their fault. Somebody else died from it. Doggone, it's the president. You, what? This church, man, I can't believe. It's Pastor Chris's fault for what Gretchen Whitmer said. It is? How's that my fault? It's the leaders. It's all, that's how infants are. I want to I watch Frozen. <laughs> leaders are both the source of my joy and my irritation. Look at verse 5. What then is Apollos? What is Paul? They're servants. They're servants. The point of this is, it, we don't give life. Look who gives life. The Lord does. I planted, Apollos watered, God gave the growth. I don't need to find my life in, in a leader or a person. I find my life in God Himself. Our job is to serve. Your job is to worship the living God. Adults do that. I was thinking through this about what are leaders? What are we really? It says here in verse um, 7, so neither he who plants, which is Paul, nor he who waters, that's Apollos, really we're nothing. <laughs> we're really nothing. I was thinking, what are we? Are we heroes who preach better than others? Are pastors performers who keep the people entertained? Are you not entertained? It's like kill somebody else for getting mad at me. Are we professionals? As John Piper's book, We Are Not Professionals, he writes, is there a way to be a professional broken clay pot? We are fools, it says in Corinthians. Professionals are wise. We are weak, but professionals are strong. Professionals are held in honor, but servants of Christ are held in disrepute. Brothers, we are not professional. We are outcasts of society. Life isn't found in us. God gives the growth. In fact, when I realize that life only comes from God, I can set other people free. I'll give you an example of what I mean. When, when I just became a Christian, I was 23, 24 years old. My dad at the time was 55, and he just lost this huge job, got fired. He made a lot of money. And he couldn't find a job for a whole year. Imagine a man not being able to find a job for a whole year who has to pay a mortgage. He was miserable. And my dad was like an incredible football player, an MP in the Army, and here he can't do anything. And he in the house was like walking on eggshells around him. He would just blow up. I would try to avoid him. My dad's a big guy. I, I'm waiting for him to smack me, and I go flying across. I just tried to be nice. And I can remember I went up and I, start, I needed to pray. And I was a new believer. And I'm like, God, my dad needs a dad. My dad needs you. He's, he's, a, he's a weak human being. And then I said, God, I need you to be my dad. What was really weird about that is in a small way, I was able to let my dad just be a human being. Too often we expect so much out of our parents. They can't be human. 
they do something wrong, we blame them the rest of our life. We do the same with pastors. But when you see God as your dad, you become mature. And you can forgive others and actually let them be free. It's an amazing gift. Third thing about infants here is, you know what they believe? I am not expected to work hard or sacrifice for others because after all, I'm a baby. I want to watch Frozen 20 times. But wait, look what it says in verse 9. We are, all of us, God's fellow workers. We're all underneath His leadership because we are His field. And what he does is the first thing he does is he gives the division of labor. That's what Paul's talking about. Verse 6, I planted, that was my job. Apollos watered, that was his job. God's the one that gives the growth. In the same way in verse 9, we all are fellow workers. We all should be a part of this. We all should have harvest. Go to Ephesians. It's four books to your right, chapter 4. I want to show you something very, very interesting said that like Elmer Fudd. Because some of you watch, still watch cartoons because you're... I'm kidding. <laughs> Ephesians 4, look at verse 11. It's just because I'm weird. I'm sorry. I'm, I'm just showing you I'm merely human. Ephesians 4, verse 11. And this is the heresy Ken's talking about. That the third service doesn't get. They get it worse. Verse 11. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and teachers. This is Ephesians 4. Verse 12. What is their job? To equip the saints. The saints. The saints. The believers. All believers. For the work of ministry. For building up the body of Christ. Until we all, all of us, attain to the unity of faith and the knowledge of the Son of God. To what? Maturity. Adulthood. That's the point. All of us. So, in other words, division of labor in the church does not work like this. I preach, you clap. That's not division of labor. Jared sings, you critique. That last song, Dodie. Ken and Trevor teach, you take notes. Derek teaches your kids on Wednesday nights and then you go home and say, oh good, now I don't have to talk to my kids about God this week. Or look around. Do you know people in here? Do you care for them? All of us are given a job, and when we do our job, it says we will be rewarded. That's what it says. Jared's going to talk about this next week. But it says in verse 8, each will receive his wages according to his labor. He expects, expects all of us to participate. And he will give the growth. Gordon Fee writes, Paul points um, to both pastors and people in this passage, and the point is the church belongs to its Lord and to him alone, and its ministers must function in Christ's church in the posture of servants. All too often those in charge, be they pastors, teachers, think of the church as theirs. But it's Christ's. All too often those who give those who attend say, this is my church. No, the church belongs to Christ. 
I was, because uh, God gives the growth. I was uh, thinking of another song. I sang a nice song for you earlier. I'll sing another song for you. It's one of my favorite songs. But when the first time I heard this song, I, I cried a lot. Because it's got a truth that hits hard. That it's a truth that to me is very sad. It's a song, Cats in a Cradle. How many of you have ever heard Cats in a Cradle? The chorus goes like this. The cat's in a cradle and a silver spoon. Little boy blue and the man on the moon. When you're coming home, Dad, I don't know who when. We'll get together then, son. You know we'll have a good time then. It's about a dad who's too busy to come home and be with his son. So his son's always like, Dad, come on. Thanks for the ball. Come on, let's play. Can you teach me to throw? Not today, son. I got a lot to do. The son said, that's okay. But then the son grows up and he says, hey, Dad, can I have the car keys? See you later. Can I have them, please? And then the son gets the dad's age and the dad's the grandpa. Hey, son, can you come on over? No. New job's a hassle. Kids got the flu, but it's sure nice talking to you, Dad. It's sure nice talking to you. And then he says this. As I hung up the phone, it occurred to me, my boy was just like me. My boy is just like me. And you know what the, you know what the theme of that song is? It, it is about a father and a son and how they miss, but I think it goes deeper than that. People have always been too busy for the stuff that really matters. You know what really matters, Dad, is your son, your daughter. Do you know what also really matters? The church of God. It's his bride, it's his body, and we're going to dwell together for all eternity someday. Ephesians chapter 3, verse 10 says that we are the wisdom of God displayed to the heavens together. Is this your church or is this Christ's church where you are a fellow worker? I hope so.